morning we begin a new series which I have called This Pilgrim Life, This Pilgrim Life. And I want to consider with you the faithful Christian, the faithful Christian. So I have two uh, verses. The first is found in Proverbs, the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, and then we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. So Solomon says, verse 6, Proverbs 20, Many a man, many a woman, many a person proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man, who can find? So many proclaim their steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? And then if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and just verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards or required of servants that they be found, what? Faithful. It is required of servants that they be found faithful. Just one thing, faithful. This pilgrim life, the faithful Christian. Now let's pray together. Now Father, thank you for your word. May the Holy Spirit guide us and help us as we consider together this great subject about our Christian life, what it means to be the faithful Christian. So we commend ourselves to you. We ask that we would understand more of Jesus and more of your word. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if every one of you has read Pilgrim's Progress, but if you have read Pilgrim's Progress, you will uh, know the story about this man, Christian, who has left the city of destruction because he believes that he is lost and he needs to find hope and salvation. And so he is pointed in a certain direction, as you know, to go. And of course, ultimately, he will come to the cross and so on. But in uh, the journeys of Christian, that's his name, he meets up with this man who is called Faithful. And the two of them become best friends and very close companions. And they discover that both of them are from, originally, the city of destruction. They were both citizens of the same city. They didn't know each other. But Faithful was encouraged to take the journey as well because Christian had first left and gone on this pilgrimage to the celestial city. And Faithful, of course, uh, joins him. And they meet up together on the journey. They're very different men. They have different personalities, different ideas, and yet they become very, very close together. Christian soon discovers that Faithful is a very loyal companion. That he's the kind of guy you want right with you when you're in trouble. Not only that, but he's a very gracious spirit. So his words and the way he speaks and he communicates are very tender. He's a very kind man. And so he is called the Faithful Man, the Faithful Christian. Of course, when Christian and Faithful reach the world city, Vanity Fair, it is in that city that Faithful becomes the first martyr that you read about in Pilgrim's Progress. He gives his life for the gospel. He gives his life for Christ. And he did so because he just refused to submit to the false worship that was being proclaimed in Vanity Fair, which we, by the way, are surrounded by every day of our lives in this world. So here is Christian on his pilgrimage and faithful on his pilgrimage to the celestial city. And that's why I've called this series, This Pilgrim Life. And so I want to speak this morning with you about the faithful Christian. Faithful in Pilgrim's Progress 
quite clearly fulfills what Jesus said to the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Or, as Jesus said about the church at Pergamum in chapter 2, Antipas was my faithful witness who was killed among you. That's just the picture of the life of this man faithful in Pilgrim's Progress. When we read that verse in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, it tells us, doesn't it, of the extreme difficulty to find someone who is faithful. How difficult it is to find a faithful man, a faithful woman, a faithful person. You will notice in that verse that the difficulty of finding someone who is faithful is counteracted by the opening statement that that so many are willing to proclaim how steadfast they are, steadfast in their love, steadfast in their Christian experience, whatever it might be. Everybody is quick to say how good they might be or whatever it is that they may have accomplished or are doing. But a faithful man, a faithful woman, who can find? It's not so easy, Solomon says, to find such a person. Oh, people will say lots about themselves. So easy to speak about your talents and your abilities and your gifts. But where will you find a faithful person? Not only that, but when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians that there's only one thing that counts in a servant or a steward, and that is that they be faithful. Not that they be good at their job, not that they be honest, though that is expected, of course, right? But that they be faithful. That you can rely upon them. That you can trust that servant, that steward, just to be found faithful. So we discover that faithfulness is not in self-proclamation, but faithfulness is a demonstration in service. And if I don't think I could give you a better description of faithfulness. It is not about what you say about yourself. It is about what others see that you do. It is about what is observed in your life and through your life. So I asked myself the question when I was studying this So what does a faithful Christian look like? Or can I describe for you, for myself, the faithful Christian? One thing I would say right up front is that every Christian ought to be a faithful Christian. You would expect a Christian to be faithful. You know from their previous life that that wasn't the case. But now that they have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you would expect such a person who says they're a Christian, to demonstrate that they actually are a Christian. And there's no greater way, the Apostle Paul would say, to prove that than that every servant, every bond slave of Jesus Christ is proven by the one characteristic of being faithful. And Solomon tells us actually how difficult it is to find just such a person. And so I want to explore with you this morning this whole subject of the faithful Christian. I'm going to give you five five areas in which we can be faithful. There are many, more than five. But these are five that I want to give you this morning. First of all, the Christian should be faithful in his or her walk. In your walking. Faithful in his or her walking. Number two... The Christian should be faithful in his or her working. Not just walk, but their work. Number three, the Christian should be faithful in his or her words. What I say, my words. So my walk, my work, my words. Number four, a Christian should be faithful in their waiting. In their waiting or watching if you like. And number five, a Christian should be faithful in their worship. In their worship. Now, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Five little words to help us. Walk, work, words, waiting, and worship. But we have to ask ourselves the question, 
What do we mean by faithful? What do I mean when I say and talk about the faithful Christian? So let's give a definition. The word faithful is an adjective, isn't it? The Greek word is pistos, which comes from the noun form pistis, which is faith. So we discern that somewhere in the definition of being faithful is this whole concept of belief and trust, right? So it is associated, faithfulness or faithful, with the faith or faith, believing, trusting. So to be faithful, if you were, if you were to ask me, can you say more about it? To be faithful is number one, to be committed. To be committed. Number two, it is to be concerned. Number three, it is to be reliable. And number four, it is to be trustworthy. If you were to work for a company or own the company and you were entrusting someone to take your money, the money that the company's earned to the bank for deposit, you would want to put it in the hands of a faithful person. By that we mean trustworthy, right? We mean reliable. They're not going to be like Judas Iscariot and dip their hands into the bag. No, they're going to be trustworthy. You can count on them to fulfill their responsibility. You can trust and believe that they will do it. The NIV has an interesting uh, translation on 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. It says, those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a position of trust must prove faithful. Those who have been put into Jesus Christ a position of trust must prove faithful. So, Jesus said in Luke 16, if you are faithful in little, you will be faithful in much. How true that is. If you're not faithful in little, who's ever going to trust you with much? So the person is faithful just a little bit will be faithful because faithful is a character trait. It is an attribute of who you are. You are faithful. You demonstrated by reliability, by being trustworthy, by being committed. You can be trusted. You can be depended upon. You remember when Jesus uh, gave on the Sermon on the Mount his Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. What a beautiful sermon, 5, 6, and 7, right? And you remember how he started defining what it meant to be a disciple in his kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and so on. What is he describing? Jesus was describing a believer. Jesus is describing a Christian. Jesus is describing a disciple. Jesus is not saying you ought to be like this. Jesus is saying a believer is like this. In fact, as far as God is concerned, what Jesus says is that we demonstrate that we belong to God by being poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are pure, for they shall see God. So this is their natural, I shouldn't say natural, their character, right? Their characteristic. This is who the Christian is, Jesus says. This is the one who believes in me. They are like this. But then Jesus turns, doesn't he? from giving the description of our relationship to God, that this is what we're like, to saying what we're like in the world, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. That's, that's the character of a Christian. That's what every Christian is like. And Jesus is not saying, you ought to be like that, or perhaps try and work your way to be like that. No, every believer is like that. In fact, that's the fundamental difference under the gospel of what defines a Christian and what defines a non-Christian. The Christian is like this, Jesus says. The disciple is like this. And if you're not like that, you're not my disciple. You're not a believer, and so on. So the Christian is defined in the Bible as someone by Jesus who demonstrates these characteristics. This is what we are before God and this is what we're like before the world, salt and light and so on. You know this word faithful? You find it about 80 times in the Bible. The word faith, of course, is everywhere in the Bible. Belief, right? But the word faithful, being a faithful person, 80 times. 
In the biblical sense of using the word faithful, it is the opposite of being unfaithful. So we recognize immediately that whenever the Bible talks about someone who is unfaithful, it usually is characterizing someone who doesn't believe. And therefore, if that's true, the faithful Christian is obviously a believing person. Someone who believes. Someone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I say to you this morning, that's just the starting point of being a faithful Christian. We start with belief. We start with being a Christian. If a Christian is to be faithful, it's because he's a Christian. Because he believes. Because he trusts. Because he depends and so on. I've discovered that there are many people who talk about their faith. You often hear people say, my faith is important to me. My faith is the most significant thing in my life. I would correct that immediately by saying, no, it's not your faith. It's your Savior. That's the most important thing. It's not your faith. It's your Savior. Because I don't know about your faith. I don't know what you believe. You may say you believe the Bible and all of that, but when I talk to you, you may demonstrate that you don't believe the Bible. No, the most important thing is not my faith, but my Lord Jesus Christ. So when college students go away and you hear the stories about I lost my faith, did you lose your Savior? Did you lose your Savior? Because if you have the faith, you don't lose the Savior. So you never had the faith to begin with if you say you went away to college and I lost my faith and I don't believe that stuff anymore. So my faith is really wrapped up ultimately in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I'm going to be faithful, it's because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and my faithfulness is all associated with Him and in relation to Him. So my walking, my working, my words, my waiting and watching, my worship, it's all associated with Christ. All wrapped up in Christ. Now I know that the Bible talks to us about the faith. The most holy faith. What do we mean by the faith? We mean the body of truth that we believe. The body of truth that we confess. That's what we mean by the faith. But we also talk about having faith. And having faith is believing the faith, the body of truth, which is the gospel, which is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So having faith, which obviously a faithful man in the biblical sense would have, a faithful woman, is actually believing and trusting and relying upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I discover then that the faithful Christian is somebody that you can depend upon. Somebody that you can rely upon. Somebody who, because you know them to be a believer, when you talk to them, you discover that their life is suffused and saturated by belief in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the good news. So that their behavior is reflective of the gospel and the mandates of the gospel. So that they do show that they are poor in spirit. That they mourn over their sinfulness. That they are pure. That they have changed. That something radical has happened. So by definition, reliable, committed, trustworthy, dependable. But let me make a distinction which I think is very important for all of us to understand. Right? You can say you have faith. By that you might mean, I am faithful. You can be someone who doesn't have faith, and therefore you're not faithful. That's, we make the distinction between having faith, not having faith, believing and not believing. And it's important when I talk about the faithful Christian that I'm talking about the believing, obviously, person who is a Christian. We have examples in the Bible of those who are faithful. The very first one that we could say is faithful, God is faithful. That's what the Bible says, God is faithful. Not only God, but the Bible says, Moses was faithful in my house, God says, as a servant. He was faithful. I could rely on Moses. The Bible tells us that uh, David was faithful. 
And King Hezekiah was faithful. That phrase faithful is used of them. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul often talks about Epaphras or Tychicus or Onesimus as faithful. And we even discover that Silas, the partner of the Apostle Paul, was also called faithful. So you can see how John Bunyan, when he thinks about faithful, is thinking about all these characters wrapping them up in this one man who takes a journey to the celestial city on his pilgrimage to get to glory. In the Old Testament, Israel is often described as unfaithful. What do we mean by that? They did not believe God, did they? God promised them the land. God gave them the land. God spoke promises. God gave them His word. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They were unfaithful. And you know, sometimes we struggle with that ourselves, right? Actually believing God. Trusting sometimes. In Nehemiah, you remember Nehemiah, he served in Susa in the Persian Empire. He was the cupbearer, the wine taster for King Artaxerxes. And he was, he was longing to hear a report about the city of Jerusalem thousands of miles away. And then his brother came and brought him a report and said it's in, bad, it's in a bad situation. The walls are fallen down, the gates are broken. And he was grieved by that and he reminded himself of what Moses had said long ago when Moses said, because God said it to Moses, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And Nehemiah, like Daniel, will recognize that he was in exile, scattered from Israel because of the unbelief of the nation, which he confesses, right? Nehemiah chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9 as well. Don't you find it interesting that in the hometown of Jesus, that Jesus himself could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief? His own people. He came to his own, and his own rejected him. They did not believe him. They did not trust upon him. And isn't the injunction of Scripture clear to us? In Hebrews chapter 3, Take care then, brothers and sisters lest there be in any of us, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Alright, so let's consider the Christian, the faithful Christian, in his walk this morning, first of all. The Christian life has often been called a walk. What is a walk? Well, a walk is somewhere where you're going. It's a pathway. It leads in a certain direction. Where is a Christian going? To the celestial city, right? We're on a path to home, to glory, to heaven. So it's going somewhere. To walk with God then is all about a relationship with God. It implies fellowship with God. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos, the prophet said, no, we, if we have fellowship with God, if we walk with God, it's because we're in relationship with God. Do you know the Bible talks about people who walked with God? Think of Enoch in chapter 5 of Genesis, verse 22, verse 24. The Bible says, Enoch walked with God. And just go to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 6, and Noah walked with God. Or go to 1 Kings chapter 9, David walked with God. What does that mean? means they, they had a fellowship with God that was so close, it's described as walking arm in arm, as it were. Going in a direction together. You remember how Jesus pointed out to the many disciples who followed him in John chapter 6, who suddenly turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. It was too hard for them. And isn't the Christian life difficult? It is difficult. It is hard at times. There are pressures upon us. Pressures that sometimes you might want to walk out of the way. Like John Bunyan's pilgrim and went into the slough of despond. Took the wrong path. He took an easier path. Because isn't the way narrow and hard? And the gate is like that. That leads to eternal life. 
and few there be that are on that path, that are on that way, walking that way. Christians are called upon, Paul says, in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 1, to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. You're a Christian now. So walk as a Christian. Doesn't the first psalm, the very first psalm, introduce us to the right way and the wrong way? Blessed is the man who walks this way and not that way. Walks in the right way, the holy way, the godly way, who does not walk in the sinful way. And the psalmist asks the question, who dwells with God in Psalm 15? And the answer is, he who walks blamelessly. Who walks with God in that way. Psalm 128, to fear the Lord is to walk in his ways. So when I talk about the Christian and his walk, I mean the life of a Christian that is with Christ. Fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with God. To walk in your own way, according to Isaiah the prophet, chapter 65, is to follow your own devices. And usually we follow our own devices because we think our own devices are better than God's way. Remember how the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he says to them in chapter 5, I want you to walk in love, and I want you to walk in light, and I want you to walk in wisdom. Walk with God in that kind of way, is what he is saying. Doesn't he urge the Ephesians also in chapter 4 that we must not walk in the way we once did, in the futility of our minds, having our understandings darkened? We now have the light. We must walk as children of the light, in the light. So I discover then when I think about these themes about a Christian and his walk, that a faithful walk is number one, consistent. What do I mean by consistent? I mean it is holy in the way. The Christian is committed to being holy in the way. A consistent walk. I discover number two, that a faithful Christian is content. What do I mean by that? I mean he's happy in the way. Not just holy in the way, but he's happy in the way. He's content. A faithful Christian, thirdly, is a careful Christian. And I mean by that that he is a humble Christian. He doesn't just proclaim his own self-worth, his own self-excellencies, his own steadfast love, like Proverbs 20 says. He doesn't do that. Because it's difficult to find a faithful man. Anybody can say good and wonderful things about their Christianity. Ah, but to be faithful in my walk, that is not an easy thing. But the Christian must pursue being consistent, being content, and being careful to be holy and to be happy and to be humble in their walking with God. And the Bible teaches me that I must walk, as Paul says, in all humility, in all gentleness, in all patience, and in all love. Do you know why? Because that pleases the Lord, he says. And not only pleases the Lord, but it bears forth good fruit. And it deepens your knowledge of God. So if I'm filled with all humility and gentleness and patience and love, and I walk in that way... God is pleased. And I bear fruit in my Christian life. My knowledge is developed. You know, one of the things a holy walk does, a happy walk does, and a humble walk does, it gives you assurance. It builds your assurance up. I think this is one of the great problems in the evangelical church at the present moment. People are not sure whether they're actually Christians or not. Their assurance levels are low. Their assurance levels are low perhaps because they are too worldly, too careless, not consistent. And so they've got all these other things that crowd into their lives and crowd into their minds that cause them difficulties and affect their relationship with the Lord, their assurance with God. So we must be faithful in our walk. Number two. A Christian, a faithful Christian, is faithful in his work. What do we mean by work, right? By work we mean our responsibilities. We mean our obligations. We mean our, our duties. I mean, one thing I know about God is God is faithful in all of his work. 
And do you remember how Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes chapter 9? He said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do your work with all your might, he says. Now that agrees with the Apostle Paul who says in Colossians chapter 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. So notice that in my working, my working of course is not just to earn a salary or earn a wage, which I know I'm going to get. Sometimes perhaps whether I work hard or not, I know I'm going to get paid. No, what Paul is wanting us to understand is that our work is not just to earn a wage, but to please the Lord. In other words, I work for the glory of God. That's my first motivating factor when I go to my job, or when I go to my work, whatever it is. Will I glorify God today in my work? doesn't matter what kind of work it is, because all work is good. It comes from God. It's found in the, uh, in the garden before Adam fell. He was called to work. It's a good work. Jesus said, my food is to do the will, my work is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So even the Lord Jesus Christ worked for the glory of the Father. So when you think about work as a Christian, think about it in this way. It is a spiritual matter, not a secular matter. It is first of all, fundamentally a spiritual thing between you and God. That you are accountable to God for your working and for your work. Because God gave you the work. Therefore work for His glory, right? So it's spiritual unto the Lord. It's not secular for myself. I get the benefits, yes, but only if I direct it to the Lord and His glory. So I discover then two principles. Number one, the Christian must work with, number one, all diligence. Diligence. I mean, what is diligence, right? It's not being sidetracked. It's not, it's not taking a break here and there all, all the time. No, with all diligence. I mean, isn't that what Paul said at the end of that glorious chapter on resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, that we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord? Think about that. Not just to ministers or preachers or missionaries, but to every Christian, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So I must work with all diligence. Number two, I must work with all deliberation. Now what do I mean by that? Do it with all your might. With all your strength. I mean, am I not supposed to love God like that? To love God in this particular way with all my might? with all my strength, with all my soul, with all my mind, to love Him, to think on Him. And this, of course, by being diligent and being deliberate in my work, is a, an antidote to being lazy, to being carefree, to being casual. Because whoever is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. Proverbs chapter 18. I mean, what did Adam do in the garden, right, after God had created him? He worked. He's got to name all these animals, right? It's a lot of work. He worked. He tended the garden. There he is. Because you see, all work, no matter what job you do, is ultimately a calling and a responsibility to God. God worked. And the Bible says He will render to every man according to His work. So let us be faithful in our work, because to be faithful in my work is... To be responsible towards God. To be faithful in my walk is to be in relationship with God. So because of my relationship with God, I have a responsibility towards God. I walk and I work. And that's the faithful Christian. Doesn't Paul tell the Thessalonians, aspire, pursue, aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs. And to work with your own hands. Work. So we glorify God by our work. So the Christian should be faithful in his work. Number three. A faithful Christian is faithful in his words. In his words. You know that death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? Proverbs 18.21 Death and life. Think about that. Our words have the power to build up 
and at the same time tear down. That's the power of the mouth. My words. So your tongue, my tongue, can be hurtful, harmful, hating. My tongue, my words can say that. The Christian must be faithful then, not only in their minds, but with their mouths, in their speaking, in their words. A flattering mouth worketh ruin. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims. And doesn't the mouth of fools pour out folly? Folly upon folly upon folly. Proverbs 50. Or read the New Testament. Read James chapter 3 about the tongue. Not a very pleasant description about the tongue, right? The tongue, he says, is boastful. The tongue is arrogant. The tongue, he says, is like a fire. It's a restless evil. It's a deadly poison. Think how quickly words come onto your tongue from your mind and slip out. You can't grab them back. They're out there. And that's it. How easily we can bring ruin through what we say, right? In fact, James says, on the one hand, we bless God as our Father, and then on the other hand, we curse man. So on the one hand, we speak nice things about God, and the next thing, we speak hateful things about our fellow neighbors. I have to continually, and I think you do too, you have to continually ask the Lord to purify your mouth, to cleanse your conversation. So, don't be given to exaggeration, but always be committed to edification. Exaggeration, you know what that is? Taking the truth, embellishing the truth, adding to the truth. I find that happens in storytelling a lot. I love to tell stories. You might not know that. But I can find myself getting carried away with a story. You know, you add things to make it more appealing. Watch your mouth. Don't exaggerate. Be edifying. Put a restraint right upon your lips. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress, David says, Psalm 17. Or how about, I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. You ever try to speak with a muzzle on your mouth? Can't do it, right? Can't do it. That's how you've got to think about your lips. So like Isaiah the prophet in chapter 6, I find that I am a man of unclean lips. We need cleansing, don't we? Come to the altar, Isaiah, and I'll cleanse your tongue. I'll cleanse your lips. I'll give you a, a pure mouth, a clean mouth. We need that all the time, don't we? It's a shocking thing to hear bad language out of a Christian's mouth, isn't it? It's a frightful thing to hear swearing out of a Christian, let alone blasphemous words out of a Christian's mouth. You'd be shocked. Watch what you say is the injunction. So the faithful Christian watches his words and restrains his mouth. And again, that is not an easy thing to do because if it was an easy thing to do, everybody would be like it. But who can find a faithful man? Number four, faithful in his waiting. By waiting, I really mean watching. Okay? I need patience. You need patience. We need peace in this world. We're at... <laughs> We, we always need peace among in ourselves. I discover then I must not be an impatient person and I mustn't be an impertinent person. You know, always aggressive. Always impatient. Because if I'm impatient, I'm not waiting on God. I'm wanting to do it myself. I'm wanting to achieve the results my way, not God's way. I mean, think of God's way with Abraham. I'm going to give you a son. He's 75 years of age. He's already old. Okay? I believe you, Lord. And the years go by. And 11 years later, at the age of 86, Sarah says to him, Now look, Abraham, I'm ancient. I'm not going to have a son. Here's Hagar. Have hers. I give her to you. And have a child by her so that at least I can say I'm not barren. I have something. Okay. Thanks. Hagar gives him Ishmael. And then he's surprised when God says, that's not the plan. That's your flesh. That's you taking your own matters into your own hands, Sarah and Abraham. I said I'd give you a son, and I'm going to give you a son of the promise. From 86 years of age 
he has to wait till he's a hundred. Imagine, a hundred. It's utterly impossible to have a child. It's, it's, it's utterly impossible. Even Abraham recognizes it. And he says, Sarah, there's no way. She's 90. Can you imagine? He, against the impossibility of it, he believed God would deliver on his word. It's taken him 25 years to learn patience. To learn to believe that when God says something, it will come to pass. No matter how long it takes you to wait. We are so impatient because we live in an impatient world. That demands action today. Demands decisions today. Have you ever been confronted by a salesperson? It's the most frightful experience. Isn't it? They are relentless in their pursuit. Sign. Sign. Don't give up. Sign. Put, put your pen right there. Today's the day. And if you want to back out, don't even think about it. Sign. 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 Now. Today. You feel the pressure in this world, right, of people who are impatient. But God says to me, wait. I must wait on the Lord. I must be content then. Because isn't that the whole issue of waiting? I know what I want to do. I know what I want to accomplish. And God says, no. Wait. I have to be content and not complain. And that's not easy. Who can find a faithful man like that? To be content in all things. So let me give you three ways in which you can be waiting on the Lord. Number one, it means to be confident in God. Not in man. I'm not trusting man. I'm trusting God. Number one, to be confident in the Lord. To trust God that God will do what He says He will do for me in His time. I'm content in His time. Number two, sorry, just give you two things. To be dependent then. A faithful waiting man is dependent on the Lord. Now listen, the Lord may not come when you want Him to, and He may come when you don't expect Him to. And isn't that the problem we have with waiting? Where is God? Why isn't He showing up now? And then you kind of give up and God shows up when you weren't expecting Him to show Himself. Isn't it the farmer, according to James chapter 5, who waits patiently for the rain so that the crops will receive? He waits patiently for the rains to come? So to wait means I don't rush ahead. It means I hold back. I don't do what I want. I restrain my feet and my ways. You remember how King Saul in 1 Samuel 13 at Gilgal was waiting for Samuel and waiting and waiting. And Samuel doesn't show up. And Saul says to himself, well, I better offer the sacrifice. (laughs) So that's what he did. He offered the sacrifice. Guess who showed up? Samuel. Well, what have you done? Well, I waited. And you didn't come. So I thought, I better, I better do that which is right. Samuel says, you've acted foolishly. Do you know what the consequence of King Saul not waiting was? He lost his kingdom. He lost his kingdom. The kingdom is removed from you, Saul. God would have given it to you forever if you had believed him. He didn't believe God. He didn't wait for the Lord. David says, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. I wait for God. I wait for the Lord because the Lord is my hope. Not only that, but my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Psalm 130 verse 6. Now listen, dear brother and sister, we live in a hectic world. We live in a rushing world. We live in a chaotic world. And waiting is all about time. Patience. We are waiting for the blessed hope. The coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting. How are you waiting? Content? Or where is God? Where is God? Why hasn't Jesus come? May I suggest to you that the importance of being a faithful man or woman with regard to waiting and watching, has to do with how you fight sin. Because waiting and watching deals with temptation. Remember what Jesus said to those disciples in Gethsemane? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Ah, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Weak. Wasn't it Simon Peter who had just previously said, 
not too long before Jesus said to him, watch and pray, who had said, I will never fall away. Though all of these other disciples leave you, Jesus, I will never do that. Watch and pray, Simon Peter. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. So if I'm going to face sin and deal with temptation, let me be watchful. Let me be watchful. So a Christian must be faithful in their waiting and watching. Number five. Surely it is expected of any Christian that they be faithful in worship. In worship, right? So what is worship? I mean, you're here this morning to worship. What is worship? How do you define worship? If I were to ask you one-on-one, how do you define worship? Or maybe another question, how do you practice worship? I mean, you might be able to define it, but do you practice it, right? Thomas Carlyle, the Scottish essayist, he said that worship is transcendent wonder. And I'm not sure what he meant by that. Okay? Because I don't think he's a believer. Transcendent wonder. Well, I could look at a flower, a beautiful rose, and be say, that's just transcendently wonderful. No. It's more than that even, isn't it? Transcendent wonder. Worship is, is true adoration and contemplation. In fact, worship is not part of the Christian's life. It is the Christian's life. It's not an addendum Sunday to your life. No, worship is the Christian life. Today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and through the rest of the week. But when we gather together like this and we worship, what we are simply saying by worship is that we ascribe to God the value that we place on God. His worship. What value do you place on God this morning? Are you thinking about some other stuff? Your job. That's what you think about God right now. Are you thinking about what you have to do later in the week? That's what you're thinking about God. That's your God right now. That's the value you place on God. It's not easy to define worship, is it? In fact, when you start to really think about it, it becomes a very scary, scary thing. That I say I worship God. Do I ascribe to God His worth? Leaving nothing out. Reserving nothing for myself. But all for God. I mean, that was Ananias and Sapphira, right? Who did, who sold their properties. Lied to the Lord. Lied to the apostles. Said, yeah, that's the price. Meanwhile, they kept some of the money for themselves. Peter said, you haven't lied to men. You've lied to God. Ananias dropped dead. Fear came on the church. His wife came in three hours later. Tell me, Peter says to her, did you sell the property for this much? Yep. How is it that both of you agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit? The feet of the young men who carried your husband out are ready to carry you out. Down dead she went. Great fear came on the church. Look at us. Look at us today in our churches. Look at our worship. Is there any reverence? Is there any honoring of God? Is there any fear of God? Real fear about God. You see, worship requires a consideration of God and requires a commitment to God. What do you think about God? How do you consider Him? And how committed are you to God? So your practice of worship is in direct proportion to your view and value of God. Now, you know, worship has physical elements, doesn't it? Singing, praying, giving, listening, thanking, meeting together. How committed are you to those things? There is false worship, isn't there? There is idolatrous worship in the Bible. In recent years, of course, we distinguish between traditional worship and contemporary worship and modern worship. Have you ever heard such nonsense? What is traditional worship? Oh, you worship in that way. Okay, so what is contemporary worship? Well, you worship in that way. What is modern worship? Well, it's not old. It must be modern. So whatever that means, it can change. The, The definitions of traditional and contemporary and modern can always be changing. We don't define worship like that as if it's just part of our worship, how we sing. You have a band. What kind of musical instruments do you have? 
that define you as contemporary or traditional? Well, that's not worship. You see, being worship, faithful in worship is being faithful in my spirit to God. Not just I'm here in my body. I showed up and I worship God. No, it's a participation. It's an attendance to God in my spirit of a consideration of God, of who God is. It requires obedience. It requires submission. It requires sacrifice. It requires fellowship. I bring that with me when I come to worship God. Doesn't the psalmist tell us that we are to worship God in the beauty or the splendor of holiness? Notice the beauty and splendor of what? Holiness. The holiness of God. So, dear congregation, you want to be a faithful Christian? Because I do. So I want to be faithful in my, my walk, I want to be faithful in my work, and I want to be faithful in my words, and I want to be faithful in my watching, my waiting, and I want to be faithful in my worship. So let me give you five words associated with each of those to help you. If I must look to my walk, what does that mean? I must be careful where I go, where I walk. What direction am I going in? Be careful. Number two, if I am to look to my work, I must be consistent. I must commit myself wholeheartedly to work. Number three, if I look to my words, let me be considerate in what I say. Considerate. And if I look to my waiting and watching, let me be content to wait, patience, before the Lord. And if I look to my worship, let me be always communing with Christ. Let me draw aside from the world and fixate on the beauties of the Lord Jesus Christ so that I bring those beauties with me as a congregation together, we come together and the expressions of our heart is overflowing in praise and in adoration as we worship God. That to me is just a little bit of what a faithful Christian is like. To be like Christian as the friend of, I mean, to be like faithful, the friend of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, to slay the enemy, to be watching and waiting, to say the right words at the right time. That's the faithful Christian. Let's be faithful. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word that you've given to us. Help each one of us this morning to be faithful. We know that we cannot even begin to be faithful unless we know the faith and are in the faith, which is to be in Christ, united to Jesus, believing in him for salvation. So we pray that each one of us this morning may repent of our sin, may turn from our sins, and lay them upon Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins, and believe in him. And let us walk, gracious God, in these things that we've talked about this morning so that we might demonstrate and prove among ourselves that we are faithful believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So change us and help us, we pray, to be these kinds, this kind of Christian. Make us faithful, we pray. We ask all of these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.